Hello, everybody, and welcome to the last episode of Season 1 of Faith Beyond Sunday. Thanks again for joining me, Mitch, here on the show. For the conversation in this episode that you're about to hear, I got to do something that I've only ever actually think that I've done once before in all the time that I've been podcasting. I was able to do a podcast outside. I was able to go to our guest Josh Kessler's farm and sit outside in nature. And so throughout this conversation, you might be hearing the sounds of nature like birds and ducks and Josh's kids running around. And unfortunately, also because the podcast setup was a little bit different, uh, you're also going to hear a little bit of the bumping of the table uh, and the shaking of the mics just a little bit throughout the episode. But it was really nice to be able to to do that, to be able to have the conversation with Josh outside on his farm. And the conversation we're about to have is one that's extremely important to me, and that's the caring for God's creation. As you can imagine, Josh, as a farmer, has a love for this earth, has a love for things that grow, and he also has a love for the creator God. I'm really excited for you to be able to hear our discussion, and so without any further ado, let's get into this discussion about taking care of God's creation. So thank you for joining us again on another episode of Faith Beyond Sunday. I'm really excited today to introduce you to my friend Josh Kessler, uh, owner of Kessler Farms. And so, Josh, yeah, I mean, you you work at Kessler Farms, Kessler Family Farms. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are? What is it? What is it that you do? How did you get to the place in life where you are now? Yeah, sure. So uh, my family and I run a small local organic farm called Kessler Family Farm here in Byron Center, Michigan. Uh, we've been doing this for about four years now. Uh, our main thing that we do is a CSA program. We run, we run with about 50 families every week where we give them uh, a box of fresh seasonal veggies from our garden. Um, we also have some ducks and chickens, and so people can buy eggs and that kind of thing. Um, and everybody loves the duck eggs, right? No, the, you know, surprisingly, <laughs> people aren't super thrilled about the duck eggs. We're, we're trying to, to show them how awesome they are, but most people just go for the chicken eggs. So our family gets to enjoy a ton of duck eggs, go. which is great. Yeah, so we've been doing this for about four years now. Uh, been learning tons of lessons along the way, both uh, good and bad, and, and tons of ways not to run a farm well. Uh, and I'm hoping that as we keep going, we'll learn more ways to run a farm very well. So, yeah, and we'll obviously we'll get more into uh, all of that because I mean, today what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about the environment, the earth, God's love for it. Um, as a as a farmer, as a person, as a Christian, you found that love uh, for the earth and working with the earth, and I I think that that's something that all Christians should um should should definitely share. And so we're going to talk more about that in depth. But of course, before we do that, we're going to play a game, uh, a game called Story Timer. And so I asked you to come up with a, a story to share. Can you give us that little synopsis? What's the story? Sure. So the the story is, and this is kind of will reflect on our 
how how we've grown into running a farm yeah. and the things that we've learned along the way was early on when we had just gotten our chickens and ducks, uh, we had a, a really bad experience one night trying to get them into their coop. So this was Halloween night. Fantastic. Uh, we had just gotten done doing trick-or-treating with our kids and foolishly, we didn't come home till after dark. Okay. And Don't tell us more. Don't tell us more. Oh. We're not starting the story yet. Hold up, hold up. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> Okay, here's what here's what we're okay. doing. We're doing story timer. So I told you to bring a story that has it's about two minutes to share. Yep. I'm gonna give you two minutes to share this story. Yep. The catch is whenever you share anything in the story, I get to ask you a question. Any kind of question that has to do with anything that you share. And to the best of your ability, you have to honestly answer it. If the honest answer to one of my questions is, I don't know, that's okay. We're okay with the answer I don't know here on this podcast. Okay. Um, but if you if you honestly know the answer, you got to, to the best of your ability, answer it before you move on. Challenge accepted. You think you can do it? I think I can do it. All right. Your time begins now. So we came home. And two of our ducks had not made their way into the coop yet. How many ducks would you say that you have? We have nine ducks. Have you given them all names? They have. They don't have any names. None of them have names. None of them have names. Okay. If you were to name your ducks, what would you name them? Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Perfect. All of them. All of them. So as we tried to get these ducks in the coop, they kept running away because they were deadly How big fair, is coop? frightened of us. Uh, eight by ten or so. Okay. Um, and so we kept having to chase them back and forth through the, through the trench where there was water. It was hailing wet. and raining. I got very wet. Oh, it was raining too. Yes. And it, w- it was raining and hailing. It was miserable. Okay. It was dark. Uh, after about an hour and a half of this, I was saying things to these ducks that I don't normally it? say. Were you looking to, at your watch? I actually looked at my clock at one okay. point cause I was so frustrated. Uh, <laughs> and I had to tackle one of these ducks, uh, in the brushes. Oh man, that sounds and, violent. And, and actually take it into the coop. So that's the end of the story. I ended with scratches all over my body. I was soaking wet. It was cold, and my fingers almost fell off. You did but it. But the ducks I, got in. I love that you you were you were you were determined to get to the end. So at the end, you had to declare, "That's the end of the yes. story. I did it." I'm gonna give you a couple more details, but I did it, Mitch. I won this game, and you did. You won with plenty of time. So well done. Yes. I've been losing quite a lot lately with this game. First couple podcast episodes, I, I just creamed everybody. But man, I'm. I'm losing it. I'm well, losing I'm, I'm impressed now. with your ability to uh, interject questions uh, yeah. that, that keep that keep dragging the story Sometimes back. Sometimes I feel like I lose because I just feel like a jerk just throwing, no, you <laughs> throwing know, those questions out there. But All's fair. All right, fantastic. So uh, just just to be clear before we move on, that duck is still okay? Oh, yeah. That's Duck's good. okay. That's it, good. it thought we were going to eat it probably. Man, see, that's the thing. I feel like with all that duck has gone through now, like it deserves a name, Josh. So I'll put my kids on it. They've already they've already named most of the chickens. <laughs> Fantastic. So, so yeah, you you are working on a farm. You're living on a farm. Uh, you live where you work, working with the earth. Um, it is from the conversations that you and me have had like it's it's not something that's separated from your faith. It's something that is absolutely tied into your faith and your love of God. So I don't know. Can you maybe let's start by I'd love to just hear how is that like? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I'd say the things that got me into into starting a farm were sort of a bunch of different things that all came together. One was that I, I just grew up. My family had small gardens growing up for the most part. I loved seeing things grow. Uh, in high school and college, I worked at a plant nursery, and so I loved watching trees grow and plants grow. And so I always kind of had this this connection to 
to, to growing things. Um, I've always loved the natural world and getting out in nature and hiking. Um, and I'd say as I, as I got along in my studies in college and uh, studying the Bible and, and just seeing all the different places where God talks about the importance of the natural world, uh, how he created it and it's good, it, it just kind of kept reinforcing those sort of natural urges I already had to really love the creation and gave them sort of a theological underpinning. Uh, and then, um, you know, as we started having, my wife and I started having kids and becoming more attuned to um, what we were feeding our kids and thinking about, you know, where's this food coming from? What's happening to it from the time that mm. it's grown to the time that my fa- that it's served up to my family? Who are the people that are growing it? What are they doing? All those questions kind of kind of kept pushing me forward towards this, this interest in growing things. Um, I remember at some point along the way, I started reading... Um, uh, a couple books by a guy named Wendell Berry, who's a who's a poet and a writer and a, and a, uh, someone who who writes about sort of the relationship of of agriculture and culture and and religion and Christianity. And so uh, that was sort of another thing that just pushed me more towards this interest in farming. And and eventually we got to the point where we said, you know, it'd be really interesting to see if we can do this. I remember we started looking for a for a house, and the first thing we thought was, well, let's try and buy a house with. Uh, some some land where we can actually grow some things. And so uh, over the process of six or eight months, we were looking, we finally found this place out here in Byron Center. And I remember when we first came to look at the house, uh, my wife was looking at the house and I was out looking at the, the property and yeah. seeing like, okay, where can you I grow things? It. Yeah, yeah, envisioning it. And I remember uh, walking walking down through the yard and I saw this like place where a mole had pushed up some dirt through the through the ground and I picked it up and it was just beautiful and black. We actually, the whole area out here is muck, which is like um, just 60% organic matter. So it's beautiful. I remember looking at that dirt and seeing like, oh my goodness, this is beautiful. And I was like, this has got to be it. And so... Uh, a week or so later, we had put in our offer, and and here we are now, four years later. That's fantastic. Yeah, you. So, I mean, you talked about growing up, um, experiencing this even at a young age. Um, were did your parents impart like a love for the outdoors and nature? And was would you say that that was tied into their faith as well? Or I think it was. Yeah. I mean, I remember growing up, um, I grew up mostly in Washington state and as a, as a young kid, we were always camping or backpacking Mm -hmm. or doing other things like that, where you just got to experience nature, experience the beauty of it, the wonder of it as you, you know, whether you're hiking on a mountain pass and you can like see for miles, like that's just amazing. And then I remember uh, when I was in, in high school, my dad always had just a big backyard with lots of like berries and different, different, um, veggies he'd grow. And so I think all those things together, uh, kind of, kind of culminated in, in kind of, uh, cultivating that, that love for the, the natural world. Now, did your parents help, have you helped them weed when you were younger? <sighs> I'm sure they did. I definitely <laughs> remember having them, having them, having me help like, uh, harvest raspberries and that kind of stuff from yeah. our backyard. I'm, I'm sure weeding is there, but I probably just blocked that See, out. That's exactly it yeah. for me. I mean, I have, uh, as we were talking, uh, we've talked about previously and even before we started recording the podcast, like, um, a love of nature is something that God has been growing in me, um, pun intended, uh, for a little over a year now. But like, honestly, I never really saw myself being at the point where I'm at today where um, I, I'm, I'm growing vegetables for myself. I'm growing plants. And um, one of the biggest things for me is that I, I want to own a house so I can have a yard that I can do more of that because I've just fallen in love with it. But I got to say that I think growing up, 
and having to weed <laughs> turned me off to that. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember just being like, nah, I'll never garden. I can't stand weeding, but um, but I've gotten over it at this point because the rest of it is just it is just so great. And and for you as a as a father now, um, where where do you see your role as a father who loves God and imparting? What would you like to impart to your children as far as the earth and taking care of it? And what would you like to see in them as they grow up? Yeah, I mean, I'd say another reason we started our farm is because we saw it as an opportunity to teach our kids and kind of pass that along to them. I mean, there's no one of the things that brings me the greatest joy is when I'm out there uh, either harvesting or pulling weeds and my kids come out and they say, hey, dad, I want to help you out. I want to work with you. And I get to have them work alongside me. Yeah. I get to talk to them as we as we pull weeds or as we harvest carrots. I get to teach them about why this is important. Um, I get to teach them about the value of good work. I get to teach them about how it's important that we we are caring and nurturing for things, even, you know, when we're out there and as we're harvesting it, we see a little frog jump out. We're like, okay, let's be careful not to hurt the frog. Yeah. Like there's all, there's all these teaching moments that, that having, that doing this sort of gives to me. And so that's, that's one of the reasons we wanted to start doing this in the first place is to teach that to our kids. And I'll just say like, you know, my kids know more right now about veggies than I did when I was in my early twenties. Like they can see a small thing go, oh, that's a carrot. And I, I didn't really know exactly what a carrot looked like growing until I was in my late twenties. So, uh, they have a huge advantage. I mean, they'll probably be way better farmers than I am someday. Yeah. As I, as I talk to you and as I hear like you share, it's very, it's very clear even when you talk about things that, yeah, I mean, growing up, um, I, I, I didn't have a care for the frog jumping across, right? Like it was just like, maybe I, maybe I had more of that care, but, uh, not in that way of thinking of like, this is a creature. This, even this small frog is a creature that God has created and that God enjoys. And I think that that's kind of, unfortunately, the more normal that, um, many, many Christians do not have that mindset of, um, I mean, we're, we're literally in at your farm right now recording and there are butterflies flying around and there's birds chirping. You might be able to hear it. And, um, I don't think we typically, most of us Christians think about God's intense love. Yes, for us, but for the rest of creation, for, uh, the bird chirping, for the butterfly flying around, for, uh, the plants growing from, uh, this good earth that he has created, um, why do you think that is? Why have we, because, I mean, we've talked about it that, like, when we talk about environmentalism, Christians are, are too too often on almost the exact opposite side of that, fighting against it too often. How have we as a church, as people who affirm following Christ, who believe in God, gotten to this place where we don't seem to care for his creation? You know, I, I think that's a, a really complex question yeah, with, yeah, there's a lot with, there, with right? lots going on <laughs> yeah. that's, you know, in terms of politics and history and uh, past interpretations yeah. of, of how we read the Bible. Um, you know, I'd say probably the, the, the simplest starting point is just thinking about how do we as Christians perceive who God is, uh, why he created his creation, how he feels about it and what our role is in it. Yeah. I guess that was a lot of different things all the same yeah. at once, but you know, I, I guess maybe, maybe to rephrase it, um, how do we as Christians think about, uh, our proper place within God's created order? Yeah. Dominion, uh, right? Dominion, like in Genesis, yeah, that's... like 
God says we have dominion. Yeah. Um, what does that mean? Yeah. So, you know, I think one of the challenges is uh, as we read our Bibles, we're reading translations of words mm. that uh, maybe don't have a perfect uh, a perfect one-to-one correlation in, in English. And I don't want to get into sort of like uh, exegeting uh, yeah. ancient Hebrew uh, but all that to say, you know, there's there's different interpretations. When people hear an English word, it's their their understanding of that word outside of the biblical text has uh, implications for how they understand it. And so when we say words like dominion, there's all these connotations that come with the idea of dominion, whether that's subjugation mm-hmm. or domination or exploitation. Yeah. Like all those things are kind of wrapped into that. And so that's part of where the, the challenge comes in is is those things sort of come into our minds when we hear dominion. But I think if we take a step back and look at what's going on and what God is actually is what God is telling people to do, I think that helps us think better about it. When you when you look at the overall story that's happening in the early parts of Genesis, what God's really doing is is telling Adam, this is my creation that I love that I care for, that I created and said was good. Uh, you're going to be my agent here taking care of it. And and it's your your res- both your privilege and your responsibility to care for it well and to, to cultivate it and to tend it. Um, and so I think, unfortunately, most of the time as Christians, we read that as we see dominion and we think we get to do whatever we want with it. It's ours to, to exploit, whether that's for our own personal gain or our financial gain or anything like that, and and I just don't think that's what's in view here. Yeah. Um, well, I think I think you're absolutely right when you 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 tack on all those other words that, when you share those other words, have a more negative connotation to them. When we think of dominion, um, I I mean I think the reason that is is because because of the way that man has throughout all of history how they have looked at this idea of dominion, how they have um, held rulership over the earth and over uh, other people and uh, uh, the rest of God's creation, it has been in that way. It's been in a lot of negative controlling, um, use it for your own good, um, even abuse it for your own good. Um, However, when we look at the Genesis account where God says uh, to Adam and Eve, he, he says, um, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature. Um, I don't, to me, I go, yeah. And, and when they were said that by God, should they and the rest of the, through the rest of history, those who affirm believing in, in God, shouldn't we look at the ultimate example of what true dominion should look like? And that is God himself. And like you said, right before that, God is looking at his creation saying, it is good. It is good. It is good. And then we get to man being placed in the earth and he says, it is very good. And um, I've talked to like my, my youth group about that. The he, he says, everything is mayod, it is good. And then he says, when man is placed in, in the earth, it is tov mayod, it is very good. And I do believe that there is an extent to that which says we as people are special to God, that we are the, the crown of his creation. He loves us more than anything else. But I think there's another aspect to that that we, we don't often talk about, which is the fact that it's, no, now that we have been placed into the rest of creation, now God is saying and looking at everything and saying it is very good now because God's perspective of dominion is man 
ruling over the earth in the way that he wants them to rule in, the, in a caring, loving way like he would do with his own creation. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point there. You know, I think uh, maybe as we look at how God loves his creation and, and how he treats it and even how he treats us, uh, I think that looks less like dominion and more like nurturing. Yeah, um, yeah. As we think about how, how God desires his creation to flourish, really what he's doing is he's nurturing his creation. And, and that's sort of the mandate he passes along to us as people is to, is to, to nurture it so that there can be uh, flourishing, not just for people, but for the whole creator order. Cause, cause God loves it all and he created it good. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think, as I think about our relationship to the earth, I think a better analogy is, you know, do, do you care for it like you would a child mm-hmm. uh, or do you, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, if somebody came up to me and said, uh, I have dominion over my child and uh, spoke in the way that we were like, I would be like, mm, I, I'm worried about you. But if they used words like you just use of nurturing, if you <laughs> use words like caring and loving and helping a child to grow and to be healthy, like that's what you want to hear from a father, from a mother. Um, and shouldn't, yeah, shouldn't that be the exact same with us as people and the earth and wanting to see it thrive and yeah. Yeah. And so I think in the end, you know, the reason that we should care about creation, uh, should arise from the fact that we see that God has affection for it mm-hmm. and that he cares about it. And, and hopefully as we see that, and as we see the beauty of what he's made, the, the, the mysteriousness of it, the, the wonder of it as it, as it's able to sustain our lives, hopefully it, that, that, um, that affection starts to, to take place in us as well. And mm-hmm. we, see it for what it is, that it's good and it's beautiful and that we want to care for it as well. Yeah. I know for me, that's, that's in the end, that's the thing that makes me love what I do on the farm is that not only can I enjoy doing it with my children, but it's actually pleasurable to do. It's, it's exciting when I mm. see the tomatoes that I've been working on for three months start to have little tomatoes form on them. It's exciting when I pull up a carrot that we've spent time caring for and keeping the weeds away from. And so, you know, it's, there's, there's affection involved in all of that. And there's, and there's probably, there's probably a, a sad side of that too. When you're, you're going out to farm and you see a, a crop that you've been working hard on and it is, it's got pests on it or it's, it's just gone bad for reasons outside, whether you're like, well, I know why this went bad or I don't even know why this, this crop went bad. I imagine that there's a there's a sadness to that as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. When, when you see things that, that aren't the way they're supposed to be yeah. or don't turn out the way they should, that's definitely sad. And, and when you've put time and energy into it, it's, it's, it's hard. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think in the end, if, if we can, if we can view our interaction with God's world in the, in terms of affection, I think that puts us in a much better place, uh, to think about how we live well in the world. And, and, and also, and doing so, hopefully, how we love our neighbor as well. I think yeah. that's I think that's a big part of it. And I think a part that we often miss is is it's not just that uh, our our interaction with with God's creation takes place in a vacuum where either we're loving God's creation or we're not, and that's the end of it. But the reality is, the things that we do have have impact on other people as well. And so, you know, an example from from my farm could be. If I just decided, well, you know, I'm going to use a bunch of different pesticides and chemical fertilizers because that's the most effective means to get something to grow really quick without any any weeds. Um, but the effect is that, you know, this stuff runs off my farm and mm. downstream and pollutes the water of my neighbors down the road. 
well, that's not really loving my neighbor. That's actually harming them for my benefit. And so as we think about how we interact with the creation, I think that's another valuable way to frame it is, uh, you know, am I loving my neighbors, both both human and non-human? You know, my neighbors down the road, am I harming the, the wildlife uh, on my farm that, that lives here by the things I do. And, and hopefully, uh, as we think about those things, that's going to inform our actions. Uh, and in the end, as we look at uh, back to the, the whole account in Genesis, um, I don't think God is just giving Adam uh, uh, something to do uh, that isn't contingent or doesn't give him responsibility. In the end, there's accountability for how we've acted as well. Yeah. Do you so speaking about kind of what you were just talking about with um, when you when you get into the mechanics of farming and you've got pesticides and you talk about like organic versus non-organic when we talk about the the meat industry with farming and um, clearly there are things that I think both of us would would say that especially when the bigger the bigger the farming industry company especially when you move away from like family run farms like your your own the further up you get probably the the less things are being done in a way that is environmentally friendly um do you see society currently moving in a better or worse direction with that because I, I, I watch and I, I hear things and I some days I'm filled with with hope because I feel like there is a there's a strong movement to, to get back to doing it the right way and some days I feel like hopeless because <laughs> I, I think, of all the obvious. I think my impressions are as mixed as yours, Mitch. Yeah. I, I certainly am encouraged whenever uh, I see families that like that sign up for our CSA because they mm-hmm. want to get local food that's grown responsibly Mm. in a way that doesn't um, utilize chemical fertilizers or pesticides. That's encouraging when I see people do that. I also get discouraged when I, you know, for instance, when I drive by uh, a local field and I've seen that it's, it's completely free of weeds and there's, you know, uh, 16 acres of corn growing. Well, Mm. I, it used to be that I'd look at that and go, oh, that's interesting. But now I look at it and I say, well, I, I know that in order to make that happen, they've yeah. probably doused that with a massive load hmm. of, of herbicides and they're doing all these other things. And so like seeing those kind of things makes me, makes me sad yeah. because I know what's going on there. And I know that, you know, if that farm's close enough, like that stuff may actually be leaching into hmm. my groundwater that my family drinks from. Um, and to the untrained eye, you you look at that and just go, oh, look at how well that's done. Yeah, uh, it's it's so organized. And but for somebody who's actually doing it, you're able to pick pick apart and go like, well, there's there's only way you're getting it that clean. Or, yeah. yeah. Mm. But I will say, there's things I'm encouraged by. I am encouraged to see local food movements happening where mm. people are 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 becoming more insistent on on sourcing food locally. I mean, we were talking earlier before this just about how important that is in terms of eliminating food waste um, and in terms of eliminating kind of the carbon footprint of our food. I mean, if we have to truck our food 3,000 miles across the country, Hmm. like it has a much different uh, energy imprint than if uh, someone drives a half mile down the road to their local farm and grabs their vegetables there. And so it's encouraging to see more and more people being insistent on that. I feel like in the last five years, I continue to see more and more restaurants pop up that are focused on sort of local and yep. seasonal uh, food, which is great. Um, so I, 
I think it's mixed. You know, I, I definitely, there's times where I see people who seem very ambivalent, <laughs> uh, and, or just hostile to, to, to doing something differently and who just don't seem to care. And that's, that's always a little disheartening. Yeah. Um, but I think, I, I think there's hopeful things out there. Yeah. 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 I, I agree. So it sounds like you <laughs> You had a you had a better way of answering that than I did, but it sounds like you're right there with me with with all of that. Um, so yeah, let, I mean, let's talk about that in a in a practical sense of your whole life. Every day is is working with the earth. You're constantly like in it and uh, like working in it, thinking about it. Um, but not every uh, not every person, not every Christian is a, is a farmer. Um, not every Christian is working in nature with their jobs, um, but for for the the average Christian out there who goes, but like you know what, I really would like to live my life in a way that is more conscientious of how I live and how my life affects the earth that God loves, and I'd like to live in a way that is more pleasing to God and 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 for myself, love the earth more myself. Um, what is some advice you'd have um, to the average Christian or non-Christian out there who wants to do this more? I mean, I think what we touched on earlier is, you know, if you can think about even some small ways to start buying food that's locally sourced, that's a great way. Um, you know, one 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 thing to try, I mentioned a CSA that stands for Community Supported Agriculture. That's basically a way that uh, you can get fresh vegetables uh, every week of kind of the growing season. It's usually about 20 weeks. And that's a great way for people to try it out. You get to try things you know, some things you don't know. Um, so that's a great way to do it. Um, if do you, not, I'm going to ask you, do you, with, with most of your customers, do you start to see... Maybe not even with most, but with a, with your customers, do you start to build relationships and? Oh, definitely. I mean, there's there's interaction there. Um, you know, usually we we also have a thing where we'll do volunteer things once a month, uh, or at the end of the season we'll have sort of a harvest celebration where whoever wants to come can come yeah. and we'll we'll enjoy a, an evening together, hanging out and eating food from the farm and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, there's definitely relationships that are built there. So it it increases sort of like community coherence or. Uh, as, as people uh, get to know each other better, um, you know, one of our goals is is that hopefully the food we we produce is 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 used in a very close proximity of our hmm. community here in Byron Center, uh, so that why is that a goal of yours? Because there's there's good farms uh, all around the Grand Rapids area mm-hmm. who can serve people in their local communities, and, and the I guess a couple different reasons for that. One, the less distance they have to travel t- to their food, the better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but two, I mean, just to your point earlier about community, if, if you can really get to know people who are close to you, there's a chance that your lives are going to overlap in other places yeah. besides just here at the farm. And so, uh, I think for all those reasons, we, we really are, are, are hopeful that the majority of the people we serve are right here in our, in our local community. Um, well, I bring that up too, because I imagine as people continue to buy produce from you, um, or now eggs from mm-hmm. you as well. Uh, that in talking to you and seeing you, like, even if they come into it with, um, with skepticism of is this guy doing it the right way, that you through your relationships build build trust with them, because like talking about like the the hopeless feeling that sometimes we can get when we look at the way that things are in the world. Like I I know 
when me and my wife we go and we we buy organic we'll, we we want to do that and then then I'll be watching a documentary one day that's saying oh you know when you buy organic you don't actually like a lot of that is not actually good mm. oh when you buy that honey like a lot of that honey is not actually real honey and you start to get into this like sometimes this mode where it's like I'm oh my gosh I've been I've been working hard to to make the right choices and now I'm watching this thing that says your choices don't matter because it isn't it isn't even true like this is this is all a farce and but I, I like I personally know you so I would if I were to have produce from you there'd be no question in my mind but I imagine as even for people coming into that relationship with somebody who is running a family farm that they would build that trust and I think that that's something that like you're you're doing it you can literally walk people through your farm and show them and talk to them about this is what we're doing this is why we're doing it and i think that yeah i think that's important well yeah i mean certainly that's one of the benefits of of local farming and local food is it 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 gives a whole different level of accountability where like you said people can can walk right out to my farm they can see what i'm doing they can see what i'm putting on there how i'm how i'm treating the soil and how i'm handling the food how i'm yeah how i'm treating my animals um and for me, it's a level of accountability because I know I'm feeding this to people. I mean, we have my family eats this food. Uh, we have lots of friends who do our CSA, people in our, in our community. So there's a level of accountability there because it's people I know and care for. Yeah. Uh, and so there's even more reason to to make sure that what we do uh, is is good for them. Hmm. Uh, and one one other thing I'll add, you know, as we think about like you asked for ideas of what can a normal person do. I yeah. think... Um, like buying local is a great way. I think one of the things, one of the ways it helps us, especially if you can maybe even one experiment is to buy things local for a month that are only in season. And one of the things I noticed when we did that the first time is it opens your eyes to like the things you see at the supermarket. And, you know, if you, if you did this in say May and you only ate things that were local and seasonal, you'd realize, well, it's kind of weird that like I have oranges in my supermarket yep. <laughs> in May or that or that there's tomatoes there in January. And you kind of start to realize like, well, where do those come from? Well, I guess they have to be yeah. uh, trucked or shipped thousands of miles. And so even a small thing like that can start to help you kind of see the food that you're buying just a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say another practical way uh, and, and this is maybe a hard one for us as Westerners is just to think about buying less. Mm-hmm. And I'm not just talking food, but just buying less in general. I think um, it's very easy to be people who are wasteful. Uh, I, it's easy to get caught in the trap of not even thinking just, I want this thing. I feel like I need this thing. And we just end up accumulating things that we end up cycling right into the rubbish bin six months later or 12 months later. So, you know, starting to maybe ask yourself just really simple questions whenever it comes time to buy something like, well, do I really need this? Does something I have already fit this purpose well enough? Uh, does this thing that I'm buying, does it, does it do a job simpler and better than a thing I already have or does it just add another complication to my life and more waste and so that's a that's a simple thing is just to think about buying less and and like one of the things you said in that that the the question that you ask yourself is do I really need this I mean a, a small step in that is do I really need this much because I mean as you said as as westerners like we grow up in a society that like really we do live in a culture where bigger is better in our minds. Um, when, when you go to the, the buffet, the whole appeal is 
eat as much as you want, pile up the plate, and then I, I would imagine if you were just to s- sit in a buffet for a whole day and watch how many people left with a, left the table with plates that were still full of food, like there would be so much food that was thrown out because that's what you do at a buffet. You just keep eating and, oh, well, I already paid for everything, so if I'm not eating the rest of this, who cares? Or even just the, the size of meals when you go out, that there's small, medium, larges with fast food, and, well, the larges are only a tiny bit more, and uh, so I spent 15 more cents, and I threw half half of it away. Like, big deal. Um, but certainly, is is that how God wants us to treat treat the blessing of being able to have food on our plates. But also, I mean, for me, something that's been really big is just, especially with meat, is going, you know, something had to die for me to eat this. And so how can I feel right about throwing away half of this, a quarter of this? Um, and and how does that change my mindset when, um, I mean, for, for me, like, going back like two years, it was like, meat is the best part of the meal. If a meal doesn't have meat, I don't even want to be part of that meal. And now we're like, me and me and my wife are working through like trying to eat better. And we feel healthier from eating less meat. Um, we feel that we are in a better place as far as thinking about God's creation. And uh, I mean, we're saving money as well. But also, we're also living in a world where now you have options like go out to a restaurant and get these impossible burgers. Why not? If it's if it saves a creature from from dying, and I don't know. I also know that I grew up uh, and I was the guy who would make fun of vegetarians. Like I a hundred percent was that hardcore guy. So I recognize that like as soon as I start talking about this, certain people start sh- shutting off their their brains. But but I I don't know. For me, that has been a, has been a faith thing for me. Um, and just even just thinking about what is it that I'm eating? This came from somewhere, from something living and breathing. Um, and yeah, the waste aspect as well. Well, I think you bring up a good point when you talk about meat too. I mean, even regardless of whether you eat it or don't eat it, Mm -hmm. if you're going to, at least thinking about where did this meat come from? How was this animal treated? I mean, you know, there's, there's plenty of different documentaries out there that document how industrial meat production works. And a lot of it is just, is very ugly. I mean, and if, if you think of it in the context of Genesis one and two, where God mm-hmm. is saying things are good and, and uh, humans are charged to 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 lovingly yeah. steward them and care for them. Yeah, do do a take some time and search in the Bible for all the times that God talks about taking care of animals. It's pretty amazing the amount of times that God shows His love for for the His His creatures beyond just humans. Yeah, and so I guess I guess the point to that whole thing for me is, you know, if you're going to eat it, at least eat happy meat, mm-hmm. eat meat that, that you know that the animal's been treated humanely, that, that, um, its life hasn't been misery. Uh, yeah. so that, that, I mean, for me, that's, as you talk about that, that's the important thing there. Um, and, and I know that the, the argument that certain people would make with that is that, oh, well, like, yeah, all these documentaries, like, I don't believe that they're all real and, think that there's there's ones that are faked and this and that and to to that I, my my response would be what if half of them are real isn't that enough to get us to like start thinking in a different way 
and I don't know. To me, it's like I don't want to sound I don't want to sound condemning when I say this, but I uh, part of me just goes that's the easy way to turn our blind eye to it and say nah, not gonna pay attention to that. Um, not gonna not gonna let that question bother me. I'm just gonna keep doing what I'm gonna keep doing. Yeah, and I think you know part of it is just as we think about God's affection for His creation. I mean, hopefully our desire is to never see another created being suffer needlessly. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that certainly is, is not how God would want us to relate to his creation. So, I mean, some other ideas and, and these, I guess, as, as you get along, maybe are a little, uh, some of these are a little harder, but uh, as you, you know, if you want to think about how you can uh, import this into your life, think about how do you, how do you, um, how do you buy, you know, are the things you're buying, are they, I mean, I guess meat is one thing to talk about, but, you know, are the things you buy, are they, are they made ethically? Do they, do they uh, exploit the earth for their production? Do they exploit people for their production? And if they do, then that's probably not something you want to be involved in. So that's, that's another sort of concrete way. But those are, again, you talk about those are a little harder sometimes to, to determine, like, how do I know if, how this was produced or if it was produced well? And that can be a challenge. What is what would you say is your your answer to that? Is it would it just be a simple do the best you can, like actually care, actually do your research? That's and- a, that's a hard question. I, I I don't know how to answer that. I mean, I'd say at the very least, be a thoughtful person as yeah. you buy things. Like if 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 red flags are starting to go off in your head like this, and it doesn't feel right, then don't ignore then them. chances are it, it might not be, and you're you probably should be doing some some further looking at what you're buying. Um, that, that, again, that's a hard question. Cause well, and if we're talking about this from a faith perspective too, <laughs> I don't, I don't imagine one day, uh, giving an account to God and God being like, you didn't know that this, this food that you ate was, was created in a wrong way. <laughs> and I'm angry at you for that. Um, certainly I feel like there isn't, there is an aspect of, well, you, like you said, you had these red flags. They were brought up to you. You you didn't care, and you didn't care to question and and ask and and yeah, have concern about that. And that's a whole nother issue, rather than you just didn't know. It, yeah, I think you you bring up a good point there. You know, um, as we talk about God giving humanity this charge to care over things, like there is a real sense of of responsibility and accountability mm-hmm. there that that how we how we behave ourselves and the things we do there will be some accounting there i, I think um if we chose if we choose to to knowingly desecrate god's creation i don't think he'll be particularly happy about that yeah yeah and um i don't know this this wasn't even something i uh, maybe this is a whole nother podcast because i'd really love to hear your your thoughts on this but i think we could go for a while on this but I think maybe a, a big part of why we've gotten to this place um, as as believers in God as a whole, because uh, we talked about that earlier on, and you rightly made the statement of there's so much there. But I think part of it is that we've developed this escapist um, belief in, in, in our future that we're going to leave this earth behind and heaven will be somewhere that will not be on this earth rather than us continuing eternity on on this earth which comes from a, comes from 
interpretation of scripture of the earth is going to be taken up in fire. And um, I mean, there's a lot there. There's a lot that we could talk about there, but there is another, there's another uh, version of thought that the fire that's being talked about is a purifying fire, that it's not God throwing out his creation, but it is God renovating, God restoring. And when you read the New Testament, you see a lot of talk about restoration, not just of mankind, but of all of God's creation. And to not get into like all of that like super deep, I just would say that to me, that's the God that I see when I read the Bible, a God that isn't about throwing out the thing that he's created, but a God that wants to restore his creation, both when it comes to us as people, but also to the rest of creation. That's, that's the God that I see when I read through the Bible, and I feel like that should dictate the way that we live and think and speak about his creation, that it's not something that we go, eh, God's going to just burn it up one day throw the trash to the side, but that we we see somebody throw the trash to the side and we say, God loves his creation. I'm going to pick that up. Yeah, I think I think you make a good, a good point there, Mitch, just that um, as we look at the New Testament, we, we see, and, and, and the whole Bible really, we see this movement from creation to new creation where, where God is, is is about the business of, of renewing and restoring mm-hmm. and, and, and bringing his creation back to his intention yeah. versus God is about the business of, you know, you're just getting ready to destroy it. Like that just, yeah. That, that well, seem Garden to... of Eden didn't work out. So, you know what? Yeah. I think in the future, I'm going to burn this place up. Yeah. One, one last idea, you know, as we talk about just really practical ideas, and you actually made me think of this. Um, I think for some people, a great way to be thinking about how they can care for God's creation is just to grow a little bit of their own food, to start mm-hmm. a, a back porch garden or mm-hmm. a garden in your backyard and just grow a few things. And I mean, uh, you, you were, we were talking about this earlier, like yeah. the, the reward of, of seeing something grow right there and getting to eat it. Uh, there, there's something uh, just almost magical about yeah, it. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Like I told, I told Amber as we were eating our first, uh, our first yield, which was some banana peppers that we grew on our little deck garden. I was like, do these actually taste a hundred times better or is it, and I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's the fact that like my brain is telling me they taste that way. Cause I work to, to make these grow, but they taste amazing. And it's, it, it is, it is, there's something spiritual. There's something amazing about doing it. So yeah, I would, I would encourage people if, if you're wanting to take one small step, plant, plant three little pots of different vegetables and, and, just see, just just watch the miraculous growth of something going from a little tiny seed to something that you can eat, and it's it's incredibly gratifying, and it's sort of getting to watch this this miraculous process that God has built right into the the fabric of His creation. You can watch it right there yeah. at your house. Fantastic. So I want to be I want to be mindful of your time, Josh, and I just appreciate you you talking to me about all these things today. Um, I I want to maybe wrap up with with one question. Uh, thinking about all of these things, let's let's dream for a moment, and let's. I just want to ask you if you could dream up uh, what you would r- truly want to see, as far as the church's church fulfilling its role of true dominion of the earth, uh, true love and care of the earth. Um, w- what would you love to see? happen? I think it would 
be things both small and big. Yeah. I think uh, I would love to see uh, churches be uh, advocates for uh, people in their community who are caring for the earth, whether that's people who are involved in farming or forestry or beekeeping. Um, people that are involved in those types of industries uh, are, are those types of, of vocations are people who generally care for God's creation and want to see it uh, flourish. And so finding out ways to support those people and to help them do what they do, uh, I think that would also give the church the ability to serve their communities if they're if they're supporting those kinds of, of people and businesses because they would also know the people in their community who have need and can figure out how to how to connect uh, people who have something that they can offer and people who have something they need. So that would be a big one. Um, I would love to just I would love to see uh, churches sort of uh, wake up out of their haze about the goodness of God's creation, and, and I think there are churches that do, and Christians that 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 see it. But uh, I feel like an overwhelming majority of people are, are very apathetic towards God's creation. Um, either they they look at it as something that we can use for whatever we want and exploit whatever way we want because. Um, they have some notion that, that God just said it's ours to, to rule and do whatever we want instead of that really it's ours to care for. So I, I'd love to see people uh, kind of uh, shaken out of that haze and, and start to see it for what it is, that it's good and it's beautiful and it's amazing. Um, and hopefully, uh, as, as those people start to see that, they, they can see the, the ways that, that we as both a church and a society are misusing it and, and start to address those things. Um, the hopeful side of me, hearing you share of the, all of those things, even with the time that we're in right now with coronavirus, um, and you see images being shared, um, especially back when things were really shut down, and seeing a side-by-side picture of this was before coronavirus hit, uh, with the the sky full of pollution, and this is right now, mm-hmm. and seeing seeing simple images like that that speak a thousand words and then even going yeah we're in this time period right now that uh churches are meeting outside because of restrictions and because of hopefully what they're doing is caring about each other and caring about protecting each other and the rest of their community from being sick and so they're they're moving church to being outside in God's creation and the the hopeful side of me <laughs> wants to say yeah maybe God's working and maybe God is and I think that God is working in in certain people's hearts I think the less hopeful side of me thinks that once coronavirus is all done we're going to go right back to uh the way it's been but I want to I want to hope for a second along with all of that and say I think God is working especially in in individuals hearts with with those kind of things and showing him how his creation is amazing and that we should love it as well. So, yeah, and, and I'll just one, one last thing to add, Mitch, I'll just say, you know, in the end, I, I think at, at the back of all of this needs to be affection and love. And, and hopefully our affection for God drives us to have an affection for his creation that he created that he loves, but also hopefully our love for our friends and our families and our neighbors, both near and far, drives our response to that too. I mean, as I think about my children, I mean, they're young. Uh, I don't know what the world will look like in in 20 or 30 years as they move into adulthood. Um, But my love for them motivates me to want to 
do well by them in terms of how I how I relate to the to, to the created order because I know that that will have an impact on them if yeah. I if I choose to either uh, do things myself that I know will will damage the world they inherit or if I or if I'm apathetic to other people doing that the, the world they inherit could be uh, terrible and not no. fit for them and, and so my love my love for them drives my my actions now and and I hope that people can see that. Um, if they truly love their neighbor, they need to be thinking about not just uh, the the salvation of their neighbor, but thinking about well, can, does my neighbor breathe clean air? Does mm. does my neighbor have clean water to drink? Like those are those are interconnected realities, yeah. and and to separate them, we're we're not doing justice to God's love for people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I am I want to be in the way that I live and the way that I think I want to be pro-life. And I mean that more than just being anti-abortion. I mean that in the sense that it is a consistent Jesus centered pro-life that, uh, I want to have a love for, for my neighbor, like, like you just said. And that certainly, I think that being consistently pro-life, caring for the environment caring for God's creatures and caring about it for our neighbors and for the people that these things affect human life as well. So if, if you are just so focused on the lives of people, then awesome, because that should lead you, like you're saying, that should lead you into a care for God's earth. Because I think just like we see again in Genesis, uh, where God puts man into the earth and says, now that it's all together, it's Tov Me'od, that shalom, that peace that we get at the beginning of the Bible is a peace and in, because it's an interconnected peace that everything's working together as God wants it to be. And so that's something that as followers of Christ, we should be longing for, which is certainly not devoid of caring for the earth and being a part of it. So, Josh, thanks so much for um, just having this conversation with me and uh, having me out to your farm and uh, showing me around. And, um, yeah, I, I love what you're doing. I love hearing about um, your your love for uh, the earth and for uh, growing things and for uh, how that's tied into family and people and and God. And uh, so I just want to thank you for sharing all that with me today. Absolutely. Thank you, Mitch. And there you have it. That's season one of Faith Beyond Sunday. I want to thank Josh again for joining me on this episode. And I want to thank you the listeners for joining me on this episode, but also for this entire first season of this podcast. I really hope that you have enjoyed this journey just as much as I have. And I am really, really excited for all the plans that I'm putting together and the guests that I'm putting together for season two of this show. I'm excited for more conversations to be had. I'm excited to learn. I'm excited to grow. And I hope that you'll be back again to join me and hopefully learn and grow as well. Just a quick reminder that if you liked this show, if you loved the first season, 
and you wanna help us out, a way that you can do that is you can tell a friend about the show, you can review us on whatever podcast app that you use, and if you really wanna go above and beyond, you can check us out and support us on Patreon. If you'd like to write in to me and let me know about something that you really got out of season one, please do so by sending me an email to faithbeyondsunday at gmail.com. That's all I have for you for this first season. So thanks again for joining me for the ride. And until we get together again, I want to encourage you to seek for truth, to pursue challenging yet peaceful conversations, and to always, always love each other. Catch you on the flippity flip. <laughs>